the 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 intentional part like it's fully intentional so but yeah. i don't know like you know they asked they asked me oh, is it depopulation or genocide i mean you can ask like i can't get into the head of a criminal nobody can so exactly. the purpose of why they're doing this i don't know but i know for sure it's it's intentional so uh, that's what that's what the data shows and that's what their behavior shows shows um you know so and all the documents i mean of course like all the all these government officials and CDC and, and FDA and NIH, I mean, they all know. They all know how many people are dying. They have great data to follow it. They've they've known it since day one. They followed thousands of deaths, and they they're they're under no uh, you know confusion about this. So the fact that they continue is intentional. It's just intentional. That's why. <laughs> so. I'm in the same way. I don't know if they're just that indifferent, which is also possible, which has happened mm -hmm. many times in history. Probably varies from person to person. I assume that most people under the very high level are kind of, they just don't care. I mean, it's just like free for all. Maybe they're afraid for their career or whatnot. But mm -hmm. then at the very top, they probably know exactly what they're doing. No, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I know it for a fact. I know uh, Peter Marks, for example, was confronted directly by people who got you know doctors who got injured and couldn't cannot practice anymore and uh he said yes i know but i cannot acknowledge it publicly yeah well mafia is mafia is a mafia i mean this yeah is it's mafia so it's um you know they you know is mafia intentional yeah they are <laughs> so, <laughs> you know that's that's how people should see it i i don't know why everyone is like oh no but the government cannot possibly harm me well they are doing it so you just you know sitting there and saying oh they, they cannot possibly do that because you know government is great and I'm, i pay taxes <laughs> forget it <laughs> i don't know i know so let us start the formal part hello and welcome to make language great again Today, it is my great joy and pleasure to welcome Alexandra Latipova, who is an amazing human being. I know you were born in Ukraine and then you moved to the States in the late 90s. And then mm -hmm. you spent uh, about 25 years in the pharmaceutical industry dealing with clinical trial. And then you also worked with star startups. And also you're an amazing artist, <laughs> which, which is so, so beautiful. Uh, so do you want uh, to first talk about yourself a little bit, your background, whatever you were doing before COVID? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so yeah, that's correct. I, I grew up in Ukraine, in the Soviet Union, then in Ukraine, and then moved um, to the US. Uh, I got my graduate degree from Dartmouth College uh, in business. And, uh, you know, I've been working in pharma industry and in tech industry, you know, uh, specialized in pharma in various areas, more, more recently in safety. Uh, safety testing of new drugs, uh, specific clinical trials that are designed to assess um, safety, especially early in human uh, studies. And uh, I worked with FDA also on the, on the issues of how to improve safety assessments in clinical trials. So participated in um, FDA industry consortium on those matters. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I also had, had several companies, uh, clinical research organizations or other, you know, focused providers of specific clinical trial services. And then I, I sold them and I retired from the industry. And I, I, I thought that, you know, I'll never have to deal with it again. I was very happy and I wanted, always wanted to focus on art. And I went and I even studied in Italy 
for a short period of time. And, um, you know, I just wanted to enjoy myself really and, um, you know, do art and travel and mountain biking, which I enjoy. Uh, but, um, you know, the, then this whole Corona nonsense started and um, I immediately became suspicious because of what they were doing with the um, hydroxychloroquine su suppression and suppression of early treatment in general. And I thought it was highly unethical. Well, actually, I thought it, it is highly unethical and always has been against um, medical practice or medical ethics to deny treatment, especially for something, you know, that they were propagandizing as super novel, scary, dangerous, we have no treatments. And then they're denying doctors their right to treat patients the way they they believe is best. And that's every doctor's individual right, actually. It's not dictated by the government. It's dictated by doctor-patient relationships. So they, they so then when this whole denial of care started, and you know, from the top down, and and with very militant suppression, with uh, you know, uh, just uh, terminating licenses and and firing doctors from hospitals, and you know, the governors would issue these dictates about the pharmacist cannot fill the prescription for hydroxychloroquine. That was just a total nonsense. I mean, that that was so bad that, and I, I'm still shocked that so many people just blindly went along. So many people, I mean, professionals who know better, who know all this, uh, who know these basics, they just blindly went along with this nonsense. And so that alarmed me. And I started looking into this more carefully. I, 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 I thought something really bad is going on. And I eventually started looking into Veyer's uh, database, well, also because I do have some knowledge of this mRNA class. I had some knowledge about it from the industry before I worked, and I was investigating various classes of medicines and what potential safety issues they might have. And I, f I found that I found this mRNA class um, sometime in 2009, 2010. And I looked at it, you know, fairly briefly at the time, but I, I was like, whoa, this is just really kind of out there has a lot of safety problems uh prob you know they were developing at the time for very severe conditions also for cancer for uh huntington's disease for, for terminal cancer so when you know when they're developing something for terminal cancer you're like well yeah so it has a lot of safety issues but i don't know it's always it depends on risk benefit assessment and but i was aware of all the safety concerns that were existing at that time and now they're pushing it for as a preventative prophylactic treatment. I, I was shocked. I was like, no, you can't. It's, it's like it's like pushing severe chemotherapy as a prophylactic treatment. You would have the same reaction. You'd be like, what? Uh, and, uh, you know, so that that was my reaction. So I started looking into VAERS data and I started to uh, see a lot of huge numbers of adverse events. Everybody saw it. Who Again, everybody who still had a brain and didn't just blindly follow along. We all got shocked by just the volume of adverse events being reported to VAERS. And nobody paid any attention to that as, as far as the government officials. Um, well, now I know that they did pay attention. They have really good databases in addition to VAERS. They have 11 others that are very real-time and, and great and completely bulletproof. And they have all this data, but they just, they just you know, they wanted, obviously, this to happen. Um, so, and I started to uh, look at um, the uh, adverse events by lot number for the vac vaccines. And that was kind of a unique perspective because um, nobody else was looking at it at the time. Uh, and I did initial analysis uh, of 
vaccines by lot number, the adverse events by lot number, uh, and I compared them to flu vaccines historically. You know, there's a lot of data in VAERS for flu vaccines. They're very broadly administered. And so I immediately saw that these products have nothing to do with vaccines or even pharmaceutical products. The way they're produced is it, it, just it was just horrific variability lot to lot. And I, you know, I knew that these were not made to good manufacturing practices. And that's kind of started my whole angle on this is research into the manufacturing of these products. And since then, you know, I've, I've uncovered a lot more the, there became, um, you know, freedom of information release documents became available. And I looked at them. And, you know, now, now all of my suspicions <laughs> got con conf confirmed that these manufacturers are not following good manufacturing practices at all. Um, and whatever they're producing is not what they're describing in the literature. So that, that we know for sure. Now, what it is, we don't know, but we have some ideas of what, what might be in these products. But it, they, I can assure everyone that it's, it has very little to do with what's described on the labels or described on the, in the literature or, you know, um, the, you know, these these companies present in their in their investor presentations. The, these these products are just uh, complete, you know, garbage soup, really at best, and at worst, it could be really toxic garbage soup. Um, so um, that's kind of you know overall conclusion that I have today about these about these things. But I can share more in 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 my presentation that I recently did for the Corona Committee. Uh, so yeah, so my my whole investigation into this was more around manufacturing fraud uh, that these companies are committing, uh, committing but it's, it has to do with all sorts of things, scientific fraud, manufacturing fraud, regulatory fraud, um, and collusion between um, the uh, manufacturers, uh, the FDA, and Department of Defense. Because I, I can assure everyone also that in the United States or in Western world, a private manufacturer cannot commit all the, all these things that I'm describing here without full uh, support of the government regulators. And uh, in this case, it's also you know U.S. government overall. Um, because uh, we have laws and regulations in place, and that's that. That's how most of my colleagues got confused in the first place. They they thought that, well, because we have all these regulations and we have to follow them ourselves, that means that everyone does. Well, no, nah, that's not quite the case. Uh, so um, uh, let's let's look at the data here. So I, I mean, this was uh, my kind of summary, overall summary at, at the end of September of what we have uncovered, me and a lot of my colleagues, and I now talk to a lot of uh, researchers in this space. And the, the evidence is, you know, fairly overwhelming at this point. Uh, this is, you know, almost three years into this uh, into into this nonsense. We we have um, we know that these um, uh, products, these COVID nineteen injections. Uh, improperly marketed as vaccines are toxic by design. So the mechanisms of injury uh, were known for years, for decades. You know, as I said, I, I've, I I saw them when I originally looked at this class about ten years ago, and um, many many other good researchers, um, including leading physicians in the space, Peter McCullough, Stephanie Senev. Pierre Corey, you know, everyone talks about the mechanisms that are built into these products that are toxic by design. But again, they they all assume that uh, these products are manufactured the way they're described. They're not. But even if they were manufactured as described, they're extremely toxic. 
uh, the 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 toxicity stems from uh, you know they're interfering with your native genetic processes, uh, which are not just um, you know extremely complex, but they're also individual specific, and they can never. There's you know Bill Gates saying that we can program you like a computer. It's complete nonsense, and it comes from the fact that Bill Gates is a college dropout, doesn't is not really educated, not even a software developer. He never wrote any functional code himself. Uh, and then, but he just has a lot of money, and he has eugenics ideas from his father. So uh, he he talks this kind of stuff, and uh, money talks, obviously. So uh, so they all got convinced, including our you know President Biden, who recently issued this. Uh, executive order that everybody's going to be programmed like a like a you know uh, like a computer because Bill Gates told him so. Uh, uh, so they all you know fall for this notion and they're saying we can reprogram you, we can put some kind of a code to code your mRNA for something, and that and that's just uh, th that doesn't work, but it can poison a lot of people. Uh, now there's absolutely no safety. In these products, uh, that that stems from the, they're toxic by design, so there is no safety. And so far, we have quite horrific death and injury toll, which is recorded in all databases that are publicly available um, all over the world, not just VAERS, but also Yellow Card, um, uh, Drug Vigilance, and other, you know, TGA and other uh, similar databases. There, there are thousands and thousands of uh, deaths and. Um, over you know several million injuries, and a lot of them are severe, and that's that's just a basic count. They're all undercounted, and there's definitely no efficacy so far. We see uh, what's called negative efficacy, but negative efficacy means that they're just they're just dangerous. Again, they're dangerous by design. Uh, the most recent study I saw from Kaiser Permanent uh, came out as a huge insurer and healthcare provider, conveniently in California. Uh, uh, so they employ 120,000 people or so, and they force them all to get vaccinated. And now they, they're doing studies on them showing that, you know, at about three months, you're screwed. You, you're much more likely to get COVID if you are injected. So that's negative efficacy. Now, uh, in addition to all that, it, my research is really focused into bad manufacturing of these products. Um, and uh, by bad manufacturing, we mean that it's highly inconsistent, highly variable. Uh, there is no lot to lot consistency at all. Uh, there are definitely toxicity patterns associated with it. Uh, there is no enforcement of GMP, which means the product can be adulterated or, or falsified in any part of the manufacturing and distribution chain. Uh, and of course, we have all of this supported. And as I said, you know, no private manufacturer can do any of this uh, unless the government is in on it. So we have malignant policies supporting all this. Uh, government lies, cover up, gaslighting of the injured. I'm in touch with a lot of um, groups of uh, vaccine injured people, and they they go to this, you know, to try to meet with FDA and CDC officials, and nobody will meet with them, and nobody will acknowledge their injuries. But the nonsensical mandates continue. So as you know, they're going to vote, I think, today or tomorrow. I think they already made that decision. They're going to add 18 injections on uh, children's vaccination schedule. So in addition to 70 of other injections that uh, every baby is supposed to get already, uh, now they're going to be 18 COVID shots. Do you think any child will survive this? I, I highly doubt it. Um, 
the uh there so but back to the good manufacturing practices um so the, the good manufacturing practices actually it's a set of laws it's part of um code of federal regulation in the united states and um there are similar laws that exist all over the world and in countries where you know western countries pr primarily uh and in the united states it's, ex it's extremely extensive it's huge set of regulations as manufacturer you have to comply with and this uh this is for uh, pharmaceuticals for food and beverage as well because we if we when we get a mass-produced product and we consume it we expect it to be about the same regardless of when we bought it from what lot it came um and so forth or geography for example and these regulations were um developed uh um, from early 1900s to 1960s based on mass poisoning events uh, in the United States uh, because, you know, there were no rules before and so the, the manufacturers could do whatever they liked. Um, we're coming back full circle to that with these, with these products. Um, but uh, in, in principle, failure to comply uh, shall render such drug to be adulterated. So if manufacturer found a non-compliance with these rules, then the product is automatically deemed adulterated and can be uh, removed from the market. So most of the time in the United States, manufacturers do follow these uh, protocols and they have internal systems to monitor uh, their own products in distribution. Um, and uh, that's how you, you know, sometimes you get a letter from your car dealer says, oh, you know, this part was recalled. Well, that's because they monitor something and they found a, a safety problem. And most of the time, manufacturers will do own recalls because they don't want to injure or kill their customers. Uh, not so about these uh, COVID-19 injections, but in principle, you would think that it's a good business practice to try not to injure your your consumers. And that's how uh, most of the time the recalls are voluntary, but FDA also has uh, power to force a recall. And there are lots of, there are extensive law enforcement, uh, part, you know, FBI has a drug, uh, law, you know, safety law enforcement arm. There are uh, state level and local level uh, law enforcement uh, powers that can, you know, also force recall. So the fact that nobody has noticed this, nobody has noticed that dead bodies piling up and dead bodies in immediate association with these injections and no, but not a single, you know, we, we have, uh, I know a, a, a colleague that they they did a you know mass campaign trying to get attention from the local prosecutors to investigate this. Only one out of thirty thousand that they reached out to was willing to investigate, but he did not enforce anything. So again, in the question whether it's intentional, yes, it is intentional. Um, so when I uh, when I did uh, my initial analysis of uh, these good manufacturing practices with regard to these products, I did a historical evaluation of uh, all available various data for uh, flu vaccines, for example. And um, so I looked at flu vaccines because they were, you know, the closest uh, to this condition, you know, COVID and flu, and also because they're so mass um, distributed and mass used in the United States, about 50% of the population gets flu shot every year and the different ages, you know, children and, and older people. So it's a good model to compare. And so when I looked at um, all the lots, so here on the x-axis, you will you will see uh, all the lots, lot numbers that were available in VAERS. I mean, they're not all of them shown because it's just, you know, there are thousands and thousands of them. But, uh, um, you know, you can see that the data was pretty tight, actually. So across the 
you know, this is about 30 years worth of data from dozens of manufacturers, different lot sizes, different, you know, uh, different years. And you can see that the data is very tight. So we had, um, you know, the, as far as serious adverse events per lot, there were always, you know, about less, less than 10 usually, and on average, like four or five. And we only had two outliers uh throughout the whole data set and the largest one was 37 serious adverse events and the deaths were very very low uh in in these so so that's how the data looked for something that resembles good manufacturing practice produced product and then when i looked at these um covid19 injections you can see the variability of the data. So uh, on the previous slide, remember we had one to 37 was the maximum. Uh, here, all the flu vaccine data is under this red line. So that's how, you know, we, expectation is that the data will lie somewhere like under this line or at least close to it. Uh, and uh, as you can see, so these are uh, all of them together and they're extremely variable between each other and within even the same manufacturer you can see huge variability look at pfizer you know some of the lots had um one to fifteen hundred serious adverse events and again i'm only looking at serious adverse events that of the total adverse uh, total adverse events in VAERS, there are you know lots that have five six thousand reports and um the, there are lots that have almost none you know one or two somewhere here and here and then you know you can see like they, they vary like this so so that's there's no way to explain this level of variability by oh you know there may be some older people that got this injection from this lot or i don't know it was it was uh the temperature was not controlled or whatever uh so it just shows a humongous variability that's very very uh, hard to explain by normal um variability factors uh, and also, you know, the furthermore, you know, people were saying, well, that's because lots, lot sizes were different. Well, it's not quite true because while there is a difference in lot sizes, it's, um, it's still, it's not, it's maybe two, three times variation versus on my previous slide, I was showing thousand times variation. So again, there, there are lot sizes dependent differences, but they're, they are not explaining this. And that's when I got recently, um, uh, FOIA uh, exact lot sizes for Pfizer uh, for, you know, all the lots that were shipped in the U.S. Uh, I, we looked at it again and the variability is even worse. <laughs> so we adjusted this by by lot size and we're looking now at um, deaths per thousand doses for Pfizer manufactured lot. And on the x-axis, we have date of manufacture. And as you can see, they are extremely dangerous and, and deadly at the beginning of the rollout. And that's actually true for all of the manufacturers. Then they become less so here, but that it's still over here, it's still not um uh it's still not uh I would say compliant with good manufacturing. They're still highly variable. It's just that you know they look better in this part of the graph because this part of the graph is so so much worse. Uh, and, um, you know, so, but it's here, we still have some pattern that's unexplainable with normal variability factors. The only thing that I can think of that might explain, you know, sort of decline of, of toxicity here is that they're not actually used, uh, so much anymore. So they're producing large loads, but they're sitting on the shelves. So the only thing that makes this product safer is when it's not used at all. And so, 
So today, the very, very, you know, good news is uh, there's very low uptake of these injections. People are becoming much more aware of this and they are not lining up as they did at the beginning. And as you can see, you know, the, the safety has improved because of it. <laughs> That's a very Soviet way of improving safety. Exactly. You know, yeah, we will beat you up until morale improves. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, and this is another interesting graph. Actually, my colleague just updated it and it looks worse um, today. But this, this was as of, uh, I believe, middle, yeah, like July of, of this year. And um, so he looked at different variations of mortality across the United States. And uh, this is this metric here is how many deaths are in VAERS associated with 100,000 vaccinated people in the state. So we're, we're looking at 100% vaccinated population and how, you know, when we're seeing that they're dying at different rates. So it's as if they're getting administered different products in different states. Because again, the differences are so huge. Uh, you can see that uh, in South Dakota, for example, uh, South Dakota was the worst at the time, still is. Well, actually, the, some of the islands, he did analysis for United States territories and um, islands, and they are the worst by far. It's almost like they're getting totally you know, eliminated those people. And, and, and they tend to be populated by more, you know, indigenous populations. So there's another theory going on that, well, maybe they're, they're getting targeted, but I don't know. Um, the, the South Dakota was, was the worst looking at the sort of all of the U.S. states. And uh, it had 33 uh, deaths after vaccination per 100,000 vaccinated, while places like, well, Utah, is actually the the lowest and you know california they're about the same uh 1.7 1.9 so it's like 30 times difference it's again why why would why would south dakota and then kentucky also look so bad and in general this whole area now is much worse like the these um uh upper midwest states they're the, today they're the worst as far as mortality and California still and Utah still stay, you know, almost, you know, very, very low. So we don't know why these differences exist, but again, there should not be differences like this if the product is the same well, or manufactured mm -hmm. well. Um, then, um, so then after that, you know, we started looking, well, why is this allowed by the regulators? And we found that it's actually uh, driven by regulatory fraud primarily. It's driven by the regulators allowing them to do this or even uh, guiding them as far as how to do this. Um, and um, the when I looked at the uh, non-clinical summaries that were provided by the manufacturers to the FDA, both Pfizer and Moderna, um, I read their packages that they're supposed to have submitted to the FDA for approval. And I found that they were very similar in the ways they avoided safety testing and um, covered up uh, safety signals. And uh, that to me told that the regulators actually guided them to this fraud. Um, so for example, in I found in, um, you know, I found some unusual things, highly unusual in both of them. So for example, uh, Moderna is uh, co-owned by the US government. 
So that's not surprising that the U.S. government is guiding them to commit fraud because they they have financial interest in it. And it's not the matter of IP licensing. So some people think, well, you know, it's NIH develops technologies and then, you know, license patents to private manufacturers. This is not it. Um, you know, while they do have some some co-developed patents, this is not a patent. So the the IND is an investigational new drug application. It's essentially uh, the I would say a scientific ownership of the product. So as a manufacturer, you're supposed to open IND with the FDA if you're uh, planning to submit non-clinical and clinical studies and eventually get your product approved. So you open this number with the FDA and you discuss with them your regulatory strategy, how you're going to design your studies, what you're going to study, what's the uh, what are your claims, what is your indication, how your label is going to look like. So all of that gets negotiated with the FDA and the appropriate studies need to be conducted to to complete this application. So uh, in the case of Moderna, there are two of these numbers. So I've never seen this before. uh, And I I believe the current regulatory framework is one IND number, one product. Uh, Here we have two IND numbers for one product, one of them owned by the US government and specifically owned by the uh, DMID, which is part of NIH that's headed by Anthony Fauci. Uh, If you own own two of these numbers for one product, means that you're co-owners of this product, means that you can derive not just IP licensing royalties, but revenues and profits for this product. So... This is so these are the people who are then coming up with policy that everyone in the US needs to be injected, you know, 10 times with this product are the ones who are financially benefiting from it. And this has never been disclosed before. And I'm the, I, as far as I know, I'm the only person who has been talking about this. Uh, and uh, nobody has explained to the US taxpayers, uh, to any of us who are being, you know, forced to get these injections, why are they? Why, why are they doing it this way? You know, why are they co-owners of this product? Well, <laughs> um, and um, then, you know, as far as the um, uh, scientific uh, and regulatory fraud that they both committed, this is this is for both of these companies, for Pfizer and Moderna. I mean, they look very similar, their, their packages. Um, there are many studies that you're supposed to do as a, uh, as a pharmaceutical developer in animal research. And animal research needs to be completed, first of all, before you start large-scale human testing or any human testing, really. Uh, And they, of course, did not, you know, they they did not complete them. They started um, 40,000 people clinical trials before they completed any of this. And then when they completed these packages, they were completely inadequate. So um, in in preclinical studies, you're supposed to test many issues. Uh, So for example, pharmacology, primary and secondary, uh, you know, I'm I'm just going to focus on these other ones, Uh, pharmacokinetics, uh, which is how how the drug travels throughout the body, and then which organs it ends up being accumulated, and then, uh, you know, how it gets eliminated from the system. And then depending on those organs that it gets accumulated, and and actually for novel platforms like this one, it doesn't doesn't really matter, you're supposed to check all these boxes. Uh, so uh, you need you need to test specifically what toxicities exist for cardiovascular system for central nervous system for liver, liver, you know, blood, 
genotoxicity because these are genetic materials, uh, carcinogenicity also because this can impact um, cancer because it's genetic materials, and of course reproductive toxicology, especially if you you know now they're forcing it on pregnant women and so forth. Uh, so um, so as far as what these companies did, they uh, they did not do any of this. They did not do any of this. They did not do any of this. They said it doesn't apply to us because we're vaccines and, and they're not. They're drugs uh, and in gene therapies, actually. Uh, and um, then they also, uh, each one of them did studies in irrelevant test articles and submitted them as if they apply to the spike vax or to a community. So by irrelevant test articles, I mean, they tested it in Either Moderna did, Moderna submitted dozens of different mRNAs, their previously failed experimental products, and they have nothing to do with spike vax. It's a completely different thing. And uh, Pfizer submitted things like tests in luciferase and some other irrelevant tests, uh, and also submitted them as if they apply. Um, and uh, they on, only did one, essentially, they only did uh, one toxicology study each, a very small one, and um, completely diluted the signal by using multiple doses of the product. And then uh, they both did reproductive toxicology studies, and you know, I can, I can address them uh, more specifically. But essentially, out of hundreds of studies that they should have done with the exact test product, they did one toxicology study each and one reproductive toxicology study each with correct test article. The rest were just obfuscation, you know, different irrelevant test materials, not GLP compliant, not finished studies, uh, terminated early. And, you know, the biodistribution, by the way, for both of them demonstrated that this product travels all over the body and accumulates in major organs like liver and especially ovaries for women. Uh, and none of this was ever addressed properly. Um, and, um, you know, the claims that they're making, and this is relevant going forward, is that um, these products don't need to be tested for safety at all. So now that we have this uh, lipid, lipid nanobubble, and this was actually a claim made by Moderna throughout their history, and this particular slide is from 2018, um, so they're saying, well, we have this lipid nanobubble, and once it gets approved, uh, and as we can see that it got approved very fraudulently, so but it's now approved, uh, we can then substitute whatever's inside the lipid nanobubble with whatever we like and call it, you know, the same product. That's how they recently approved Moderna Next Booster with just uh, uh, data from eight mice, like literally eight mice. And and by the way, in the, in those eight mice, the study failed, but they said, well, it's it's sufficient for this new booster <laughs> based on this philosophy, based on this this ridiculous slide here that I'm showing. Uh, um, so of course, none of it is legal according to our existing laws on the books. None of it. We can clarify that this this uh, you know the 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 eight mice thing was currently approved for Pfizer, but it's based on the same logic that that's represented here and by the way the uh the biden's new uh executive order on you know everybody's going to be programmed like a computer is also based on this this same philosophy here because they're saying we're gonna update your computer code right here because we know how to update your you because you are programmable as computer that's uh, i mean uh, yeah it's nonsense it has no basis in science 
but that they're just stating it and they're just going ahead with it and imagine how like horribly wrong this is <laughs> no this is this is awful and i and i and i was just thinking as far as the lipids mm -hmm. they are essentially trying to reproduce a microbe like an because you know the microbes the pathogens having a fat layer is a common mechanism of protecting from the immune system and avoiding the immune system. So they're mm -hmm. actually recreating an artificial microbe that you, you can say, oh, this bacteria is good for us, therefore all bacteria are good for us. I mean, that is just uh -huh. the case. Or I liked your example with the trucks that are driving food or poison. Yeah, so, so, so like, yeah, you can think of any analogy. Yeah, microbe, I mean, the, uh, but uh, yeah, so they figured out how to, how to um break into the cell essentially uh uh you know overcome the protective mechanisms that we have in the cell and they figured out how to break those mechanisms we still don't know exactly how we have some theories uh but uh once they're once they've done it now they can deliver any payload and this is what they're talking about any payload here which could be dangerous. Uh, well, actually, all of it is dangerous. They can't. They they have not figured out how to make it beneficial, but they have figured out how to, with variety of different techniques, to to break into the cell and to deliver these dangerous payloads of various sorts. Um, so that's the whole that's the whole problem behind it. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty long presentation. Uh, yeah. So. Um, so just to think about the um, reproductive toxicology study, uh, so this is for Moderna. Uh, Moderna documents uh, for for this um, for the animal studies, animal summaries, admit to the fact that they had um, skeletal malformations for uh, babies of vaccinated rats, and statistically significant increase in skeletal malformations. Um, of these rats and they actually you know put numbers there and they associated them with time when the mothers experienced the largest toxicity and the skeletal malformations were uh deformed ribs rib cages and uh, you know extra ribs growing which is a very serious marker of developmental problems uh and they, so they've shown that it's toxic to the pregnant rats and it does impact the babies and then fda went and lied directly on their label uh so this is the the part of approved uh, regulatory review for toxicology for, for spike racks. And in their section four, when they're talking about non-clinical pharmacology toxicology, they said no vaccine-related fetal malformations. While having in their possession for over a year, the document from Moderna that says that they did have skeletal malformations. Uh, and they lied. And, and until Judicial Watch got this package of documents, and until I wrote this, this son, until I read it, and you, you had to go through the entire 700 pages to find it. Uh, so until I read it, nobody knew about it. Still, most people don't know about it, but they, but they do have this effect. They do cause skeletal malformations. They do cause other toxicities to pregnant um, rats. And the FDA just plain light and then uh you know as you know there's a huge campaign by cdc and everyone to va vaccinate pregnant women and we have you know quite horrific effects all over the world the uh there's a high, very high rates of miscarriage associated with uh, high vaccination rates in the country and uh also the um uh the the birth rates went down significantly and again they're highly correlated with vaccination rates and even people have correlated them with 
uh, within within United Kingdom, for example, somebody has looked into different socioeconomic um, uh, groups of people, and they found that the the richer ones are have experienced the highest rates of miscarriages and um, uh, the, the decline in in births, while the and, and that's correlated with the higher vaccination rates. And while, while the poorer ones actually have increased birth rates now, and they are very, very low vaccination rates. So, you know, it's it's clearly, it's not just, it's beyond correlation, it's actually causation. So now we can say that these things are causing decline in birth and causing miscarriages and causing, you know, baby deaths and things like that. Um, and this is associated with these products. Uh, so, and then another thing I wanted to to talk about, if we have a little bit time left, is that um, you know while there are approved labels of these products today, and they even finally disclosed, even though they were hiding for a long time. So for Pfizer, for example, and for Moderna also, they disclose ingredients, although not fully. So, um, uh, for example, these ALC uh, lipids, they're proprietary and has never been and have never been disclosed. We still don't know what it is. We still don't know what they contain, how they're made, what the impact on the body. So these are still black boxes. Um, this one is declared sequence BMT. Um, and then there are some other things that are more familiar uh, and standardized. So when it says um, farm European, this is from a European label. But when it says this, this means that this actually has a standard uh, acceptable in, in pharmacy. And these do not have standards. Uh, so, but then they also declare in certain amounts on the label of these ingredients. And they're saying that, well, in the vial, there's supposed to be 225 uh, micrograms of this RNA. And then in each dose, there's supposed to be 30 micrograms of, of RNA. The doses, remember, are manually pre prepared. So, but they're telling you precisely, okay, well, here, these different ingredients are supposed to be in these amounts in the, in the, uh, in each dose that you receive. Uh, and, um, you know, here they're specified, um, but there's no manufacturer um, regulatory tests described uh, that test for this conformity. So when I read their manufacturing documents, which still have not been dis disclosed uh, through, you know, public channels, but they have been leaked for a long time now. So I have a number of these documents. I read them. There are no, not a single test described that would test for this conformity. So, you know, the tests that should be there are, you know, we take out of all, you know, every production run, we take uh, certain random sampling from that production line of vials, and then we test them. And just to make sure that they actually do contain these things in these, in these quantities, that's not described. The only tests um, that exist are tests of the batches. And batches, like, you know, we prepare this material in the vat, and then we test the vat. But the VAT is a bulk product. It's not in the little vials. So you can test the VAT and have a different result from what you are going to then get into the vials because the product gets distributed in a large volume in very different ways when, than when it is in a small container. Uh, so, But they don't test the vials. And so to date, um, there's been a lot of uh, uh, independent people who were able to obtain the vials and test them directly. And so far, we have not found a single vial of any manufacturer that conforms to the manufacturer's label. In, like not even close. I mean, there are some things that resemble what's supposed to be there, but 
there, it's there. There's like huge variety of stuff that we're finding, and it's very not not conforming to the label. And so that's why I caution people who are discussing these products as if they are manufactured the way the manufacturers describe them. Uh, you are talking, you know, theory upon theory. Like in practice, they do not conform to those specifications. Uh, so what we find in the tests, and so far, you know, there's been a really good paper published by uh, a, one colleague that I know. Uh, he summarized um, 26 different studies that he found uh, from different groups all over the world. It, this is as random testing as you can imagine. Um, and they, they had different techniques because it depends on what people have access to and what kind of equipment. Most of the time, it's not very sophisticated equipment because it's very hard to get access to something to, that will sequence RNA, for example. Uh, uh, but uh, we found some things. So, so in some vials, RNA is found. Um, and uh, But then that RNA, when it's uh, sequenced, it doesn't conform to the declared sequence. Uh, the DNA is found, and it, DNA found in huge quantities, and it's not supposed to be there. It's actually considered a process-related impurity. It's dangerous process-related impurity as a genetic material. We found it in huge quantities. Uh, we found protein in massive quantities. Uh, proteins could be different there. Um, so proteins can be related to the raw materials that are being used to grow certain cultures or manufacture certain things, and they're not removed. And we don't know what those proteins are. But uh, the proteins, for example, you, that's why you, you, you can have food allergies or um, allergies to, to standard things, because if you get um, your immune system stimulated at the time when it's presented with some kind of a protein, like, I don't know, wheat or corn or, you know, something else, that's how you develop food allergies. And that, that's been the mechanism behind uh, growth and allergies to regular things because of vaccination, because they're always polluted with some kind of standard protein. Uh, well, here we have massive quantities of proteins. We just don't know what they are. Um, there are different metals found, um, uh, very toxic ones as well, like cesium, barium, cobalt. Cobalt is extremely toxic. Um, titanium, uh, gadolinium, uh, antimony, uh, and even rare ones like thulium. And, um, you know, again, they should not be there at all, but they're found very, very consistently. So metals is something found extremely consistently in these products, and they're very toxic. So you can have, um, especially if it's, you know, children get it, you know, while the brain is being developed and in this, you know, aluminum poisoning of the brain has been a huge issue for years. And it's all over the place in these vials. Uh, we also find strange things um, like large structures, blobs, particles, crystals, shapes. Uh, uh, there's also evidence self-assembly. It's been videoed. It's been shown that, you know, from, from frozen state, you have some of these blobs and then they, you know, you look at it a day later and they've developed into some bizarre structure, much larger. And by the way, these are all typically found under um, standard microscopy. So they're not nanoscale, they're microscale, they're very large uh, and they get become larger over time. Uh, there has been reports of different forms, uh, forms of graphene found, which is, again, toxic uh, to human body. It's very hard to test for it. You need specialized skills and equipment. People just don't have it. But there's, you know, high probability that graphene is there. 
Um, there's things like just, uh, yeah, if I had one researcher said, oh, there were like uh, insect legs <laughs> that she found. <laughs> and uh, we've, well, how, we've, how did she know they were insect legs? Did she? Well, know they, yeah, yeah, you look and then they're fly legs, you know. Uh -huh. so, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, and that's not strange to me because these products cannot cannot be sterilized. So they're supposed to be produced in clean room environment. And we know of numerous violations of these of the um, clean room environments because of FDA issued uh, forms that show that FDA inspectors go there and then they issue the forms saying, you know, your people were walking in and out without changing the gowns, without, uh, you know, there were in some, and, and you know, there were reports um uh published even in atlantic in the atlantic when they when they used to write when they used to be sort of anti-pharma and write stuff like that uh they wrote about merck uh fda audit this is before covid but this is very typical of these practices so their vaccine manufacturing they, they found human urine and feces on the manufacturing floor oh, because they, wow. they didn't have time to like walk out and you know it's and degown and do all that because you know, they just didn't have time. And, and and so, yeah, I'm not surprised finding like insect legs and, you know, there's possible parasites in these vials because again, they can be sterilized. And if you produce them in these kinds of conditions, of course, all sorts of things are going to be there. Um, and so um, also there were leftover magnetic beads. Remember when people were like magnetic, mystic mm -hmm. uh, magnetism, it's quite possible that the magnetic beads were left over and injected into people and magnetic beads are used for pu purification of RNA in some smaller scale processes. Um, so that could be one of the mechanisms. Amazing. Yeah, these, these things are produced like garbage, like absolute garbage. Uh, they're, they're not following any rules or practices because guess what, they're not required to and they have no liability. And as of today, they're gonna vote, you will see, they, they'll put it on the children's schedule and after that, they have no liability whatsoever. That's why they're doing it today or tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah, that is a legal loophole. And it's it's just mm -hmm. amazing. I mean, like, it's it's a big compliment to Mother Nature that so many mm -hmm. people are still walking around and their bodies are fighting this crap. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's 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 a good news that they can't actually make them to the spec because most of the time they just produce some you know, toxic water with some metals, which a body can work work itself, you know, out of it. Um, and thank God that they're not making this mRNA that they're the way they're describing it, because they'll be killing much more people um, with this. But yeah, this is just one of the examples. And I said, you know, we found um, DNA impurities. This is one of the researchers calculated the weight of the DNA impurities in these different vials. So she had tested like two BioNTech uh, um, batches and one Moderna. And uh, so she found that there were, you know, the impurities, the declared Pfizer limit is about uh, 10 nanograms per dose. And that's still high. That's just based on some theoretical uh, calculation. It never has never been justified. And many people believe it's, it's still high limit. Uh, but uh, what the actual was tested is up to 2000 nanograms. So as I said, you know, it, it doesn't, they, they do not conform at all, like not even close. To, to what's supposed to be there. Um, yeah, and, and this is an example of uh, from one of the colleagues, he did a very nice microscopic examination uh, of, of these vials. And on the top part uh, in the gray, you can see 
how they look right from freezing. So that we already, and this is understand the microscope. So, so these are already very large. This is huge, this kind of a structure. Um, these are very large blobs and we don't know what they are and they're not supposed to be there. And then he let them sit for like 30 minutes and they developed all this stuff. What is it? I don't know, <laughs> but I know it's not supposed to be there. Like you're not supposed to be, you know, these fibers, like what are these fibers? uh these are very very large structures this looks like a crystal uh at a minimum getting into the bloodstream this will create potential for for clots for you know all sorts of issues uh regardless of what it is it's just very large particulate matter um so and it's not supposed to be injected into people um and then you know it's not uncommon so this is pfizer um just a drop of Pfizer standing for about 72 hours and uh, under you know just 100 times magnification you can see they all look like confetti uh I've seen this over and over and over again this is very very consistent for Pfizer it just looks like this and you know why it, it, you know it again like what is this and why is this being injected into people they have never explained this um let me um so yeah just to cover this um the scale of manufacturing so why why we think that this is you know just completely reckless um because these manufacturers scaled up to well such huge quantities that they claim that um i've talked to several people who are familiar with making mrna and they said i i don't even think that the raw materials exist in the world to justify the scale of manufacturing that they're claiming um because the raw materials are kind of hard to obtain and, and expensive and uh the the productions production the manufacturing of these things is um there are multiple steps and the yield is always not 100 percent. so you don't you you never have 100 percent fidelity of what you're making in in every step and then you have to remove all these impurities so uh this process generates huge amounts of impurities that are you know need to be removed but cannot be removed with aggressive methods because the product is fragile so that so i i question this declared scale of manufacturing because i don't think they're that's why i'm saying i don't think they're doing what they're describing because um currently pfizer claims that they've produced uh one batch of 12 million doses 12 million doses is 900 liters of mrna and before, like, you know, 12 months before, 18 months before, mRNA was, you know, hard to do, to make even in the lab on a small, small microgram scale. So somehow within 12, 18 months, they claim that they've scaled it up to 900 liters and they're producing this, you know, precise and pure quantity of mRNA. I mean, that's just science fiction. So they have to, they have to prove it. Uh, so far, all the data that we have, you know, the, as far as the adverse events, as far as direct vial testing and all that shows that they cannot possibly make what they're claiming they're making. So what are they making? I don't know, but somebody has to investigate the manufacturing specifically and what is going on there and why, why are we seeing all this stuff in the in the vials? But the explanation is, I mean, it's, it's somewhat good news because um, as I said, if they were making it the way they're describing it, it would be much more deadly. Right now, they're largely producing garbage soup, so people get injected with some toxic metals, 
and there may be ways of of uh, you know detoxifying from that and and over time your body can can work out and that's why we see you know most people seem to be okay uh maybe some mild side effects uh, but we have some we have also uh, a percentage of people that get severely injured and also unfortunately dead um but yeah, that very large rates comparing to previous injections it's yeah yeah so the 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 rates of death and also you know also you know you people can see that somebody dies within hours and we've heard reports of dying within minutes there are huge percentages of deaths that are within first three days after the shot so those are very very large um but then we also see a lot of people who are like well i never had any side effects and i'm I'm totally fine and you're a conspiracist if you're talking about this because i mean obviously i'm okay and my friends are okay well that's that's how you can have it because your manufacturing process is so inconsistent that that's what it produces. It produces some really serious problems and then also some, you know, no problems at all. Um, so that's, that's, that's the reason for it. Yeah. And I really like it that you pointed it out because I think also the lots, because they're geographically distributed and we can make theories about whether they're distributed intentionally, where, say, influential people are likely to be like in the coasts, <laughs> whether they're getting better lots, or whether there's even that degree of planning at all, but it could be potentially so that people who have social influence, they don't mm -hmm. really see a lot of carnage, and therefore they potentially think that, oh, it's fine. So... Uh, that that could be uh, could be true. Yeah, I I I mean I honestly don't know um, because also at the state level, you know, the data I have is at the state level. You really would need to look at the county level specifically, but that would be you know a reasonable theory to think about. You know, why are the coastal areas, um, relatively speaking, better than the middle of the country? The middle of the country, as I said, that that slide that I was showing got updated recently. I haven't published it yet, but uh, it looks much worse actually <laughs> today than even at the you know at the middle of of this year. The so the the DoD collusion I wanted to um, make people aware of. Um, that's probably the slide. So yeah, so the kind of the the final final point here is why you know as I said before, like I, I figured out that this was collusion with the FDA at least between manufacturers and the FDA and CDC. But what I later learned, and this is now publicly available, I mean, it's been publicly available for, for a long time. Uh, but I later learned that this is actually a DOD program and it's much larger than people realize. So the the here's the PowerPoint from... Um, uh, vaccines and related biologicals uh, advisory committee meeting uh, in October of 2020, so two years ago. And this is when they were setting up this Operation Warp Speed uh, to manufacture these products. Uh, and this is their own internal organizational chart. Now it's, it's turned on the side, but uh, you can see that the chief operating officer of the whole operation is the Department of Defense. And the chief science officer is HHS and FDA, uh, and uh, the the these are you know how how to read the org chart. These are the people in charge, 
uh, U.S. government, DOD, HHS. They actually, uh, DOD and HHS are merged into the same entity under the um, uh, public health emergency that was announced by Alex Azar um, that, you know, in, in, in early 2020. And we still have that public health emergency it was just recently was extended, I don't know, 11, 12 times, just recently got extended again. Even though there is no emergency, there's no, you know, nobody's dying of COVID, really. Uh, uh, there's hardly any COVID around. Uh, you know, in most of the United States, there's practically none. And uh, we're still extending this public health emergency, and we still have this organizational structure in place. Uh, so, but as you can see, as far as the vaccine manufacturing, so the, the government is in charge, specifically the Department of Defense is the head of this. Uh, and uh, they're in charge of uh, manufacturing and all, all that. And then pharmas are really down below on the organizational um, structure. They're just commandeered by the U.S. government to produce these things, but they have no say. And uh, but they're getting a lot of money, so they're happy in the in in their producing this what the government tells them. And then I also, you know, as you can see here, there's. The government runs clinical trials. The government does supply production, distribution, manufacturing. And, and that's true. I, I found uh, a lot of contracts made by the Department of Defense, BARDA, and HHS at the time of setting up this whole structure. And these contracts are very specific about this. So the contracts, um, you know, I read dozens of them. There are hundreds of them, by the way. People don't realize that, um, you know, so we all talk about Pfizer and Moderna and, and maybe Janssen. But there are dozens and dozens of vaccine manufacturers that the DOD has, has set up for a long time and uh, had that infrastructure in place way before this, this public health emergency that they announced. Um, and, uh, you know, that was all set up in place for many years, large capacities, and they also contracted with everyone. Uh, with um, their therapeutics manufacturers, with diagnostics, with uh, suppliers of masks, uh, suppliers of diagnostic assays, um, and uh, different other products, and also staffing, and you know everything. And like for example, DoD contracted with Icon, who is supposed to be a subcontractor of Pfizer to run clinical trials, but DoD contracted with them directly. So DoD had the uh, control of how those clinical trials were going to be run. Um, and, uh, you know, so my question is, who is really manufacturing these products? And uh, the obvious answer here is that Department of Defense both designs, makes, produces, distributes these products. And by the way, the, in the United States, the vials are property of the Department of Defense until they get injected into somebody. Again, people don't realize this, but Department of Defense makes this thing, manufactures it, directed everything, research and clinical trials. Pharmas are there just as a front uh, and the pass-through entity for the money. Uh, but it's entirely property of DOD, all of this. And uh, in fact, in the contracts, they also absolve everyone of responsibility under the what's called PrEP Act. Um, so as long as you follow Department of Defense's orders and in injecting people with this, you don't have to provide informed consent. You don't have to follow any rules. You can be untrained person from a fire department, inject somebody, hit their 
you know, blood vessel directly, poison them, kill them, and you will have no responsibility whatsoever. As long as you fo follow Department of Defense's orders, then you are absolved of any liability. And um, the last sentence of that clause says that this is both civilian and military application. So, you know, make your own conclusions about this. But um, that's that's what exists in reality. These are facts. These are documents verifiable, available publicly. I can send you links. Um, and um, this, is, this is the situation that exists today. And now they're planning to give 18 or 19 injections to your child since they're born with this product and probably more. Um, so I urge everyone to think about it very carefully, to think of what future, if at all, you want to have for your children or for yourself. And, uh, you know, start speaking up, start pushing back. Uh, the, the federal government is absolutely captured, as you can see by this, by this structure. They're, you know, they're doing it, they're doing it intentionally, they'll continue doing it, and they've done so much damage now that they, they, they cannot afford to admit that they're wrong. So there's no way they're going to uh, change themselves. And we have to push back from, from the masses. We have to push back on the local level, possibly on the state level for those states that still haven't been fully captured. Uh, but, um, you know, start pushing back and start saying no and start rejecting this uh, because it, it's going in a really bad direction. And, and you know, there's a huge, uh, huge infrastructure and power behind it. And I was just talking to somebody about the same exact matter. And I think you and I both growing up in the Soviet Union in that mentality, that's not, I mean, that's very easy to imagine when somebody mm -hmm. commits a crime on a high level. Of course, they're not going to admit to that, even mm -hmm. if everybody drops dead. And even if, let's say, let's say they're just ignorant and incompetent, even if we go with that theory, mm -hmm. like for a second, Let's say they're completely incompetent. They did something. They completely messed up. Now people are in horrible condition. People are dying. Are they going to admit? Of course not. They're going to double mm. down and then pretend it's somebody, something else, invent another, another mm. crisis just to not be in jail. So I think it's really our time to think for ourselves, even. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why would they admit? Why would anybody in the government admit that they were on? And, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of, you know, middle levels of the government. Or, or healthcare or doctors or nurses who were pushed to do this in a panic. They didn't realize what, the, what was going on. And I, I fully, I fully agree with that. So they were either incompetent or blind or scared, a combination of these things. And they did something. And now they're like, Oh shit, I realize, you know, this is bad and wrong. Well, if they, if they step forward, like I know if they step forward, the system will come down on, on them and said, guess what? You don't have any more liability coverage from us because that was only under the condition that you would follow the orders. So they will throw them under the bus, obviously. And so that's how the mafia typically maintains its power over people by this, this, this kind of a structure where every, they force everyone to commit the crime first and then they have everyone, <laughs> you know. Well, exactly. And I think that's very important to understand. That's a very important angle that it is a mafia. Mm -hmm. like, it, there's nothing novel about the existence of a mafia because mafias have existed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And in some cultures, they have been kind of just in the background, like in the West, where a mm -hmm. normal person would not really think at all about those matters. Like mm -hmm. in places where we come from, especially in the 90s, everybody knew that everything is run by the mafia and that's just mm -hmm. what it is. 
But unfortunately, the sooner we realize that, I mean, the the, the better for us. Yeah, yeah. And I, I and again, I, I, I said this, you know, people like especially people who are, you know, doctors, nurses who, who have been going along with this and realize this is wrong. You have to stop. Um, there are also, you know, there are protections for whistleblowers. There are legal cases ongoing right now. There is a lot of legislation I just read recently uh, about 80 different bills all over the country at the state and local level introduced against vaccines. So there's actually a lot of pushback going on and you can join those efforts and you you can, you know, we're also safer <laughs> as a group. <laughs> oh, so, uh, absolutely. And there is, I think, at least on, on my part, and I know on the part of many people in the freedom community, for the lack of a better term, there's mm-hmm. like people who come out now, they're embraced. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay to make mistakes as a human being, but as long as you are willing to fix it and admit to that. I mean, like that, that's a beautiful part of the human journey just to fix what you've done. It's exactly, exactly. Like they have to realize and, and um, yeah, there's a lot of doctors came out and said, I didn't realize I was scared. I was, I was lied to. I mean, they were lied to all of them. I was lied to. I was pushed by the system. I was threatened, coerced, and I realized it's wrong. And that's, that's what human beings need to do. Uh, They say, I, made a mistake i have to correct it exactly you know well thank you again for your absolutely wonderful and courageous work is there anything that you want to say before we wrap up no i think well thank you for inviting me i i you know i admire your work as i said i read your uh, i read your substack and you have wonderful writing so i you know that's and thank you for doing that uh because it's a joy to read and it's also very thoughtful um and um you know i hope that more people hear this and and join us and start pushing back as i said you know the federal government is not going to reform itself until we push it and until we um you know make our voices heard oh i'm into that and then Mm -hmm. where can people find you and your work if they go online uh yeah i write i'll send you a link i have a, a bit shoot presentations that i post um and then i i write now for uh trial site news it's a it's an industry focused uh pharmaceutical industry focused publication uh and my writing there is uh, available for free so you can just make a you know free login and then you can you can read it um <laughs> Cool, thank you. And I also want to compliment you on your art because <laughs> as I was preparing for this interview, I checked out your paintings and they're mm-hmm. so amazing. You actually are well-trained, properly trained artist. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you. I, I wish I could do more of it. I wish I, you know, after the war, maybe I'll come back to that. But uh, <laughs> so, right now, right now, I, I can only do very, very little, like small pieces here and there sometimes, like, you know, go outside and paint the landscape. But um, yeah, I I really love it. And that's really what I want to do. Um, but, you know, right now it's a little bit difficult. <laughs> well, thank you again. And hopefully a lot more people listen to what you have to say and mm-hmm. we shall win this way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. No, I, I have no doubt we will win. And, and this is, uh, people can resist it. It's not, you know, you you can resist it, especially in the U.S. Other countries are much more difficult. But use this, use this opportunity to to say no and to get back your freedom. Yeah, here's from two Soviet expats. Yes, exactly. It could be much exactly. worse. <laughs> it could be much worse. 
Yeah, listen to us before it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Sasha. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, thank you very much.